Welcome to Matter of Fat, a body positive podcast with Midwest sensibilities. Hi, I'm Kat Palavoda, a local fat feminist, shop owner, and upon release of this episode, I'm at the airport with Soraya en route to LA. So currently, and here on the pod, I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Soraya Bogani. Hi, I'm Soraya. I'm a fat, multiracial, Minneapolitan millennial who is jet-set ready. Yes. We're taking this little Midwest show on the road out to the relative glitz and glam of LA. On Matter of Fat, we're here to talk about the cultural politics of fat bodies in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the greater Midwest. Yup, let's get into the, the fat, fat dish. dish. It's time for the fat dish, where we share or dish about what's going on in our community and personally. I hope you all are ready for seconds or thirds or fourths because all of our great community dish is sharing things we've mentioned before. So here are the headlines, and you can refer to previous episodes or show notes for specifics in chronological order. One, we're in L.A. at WNYC's Work It Women's Podcasting Fest, October 3rd and 4th. Let us know if you'll be there. Yes. Two, Cake Plus Size Resale's business birthday is Saturday, October 5th. Whoop, whoop, two years. Yes. And three, Flyover Fest presents Lindy West and Samantha Irby on October 12th. We're a sponsor. We can't wait. Yes. Oh, I cannot wait for any of these. Uh, and now I'm excited. Or all of these. Any, all, both, and. Everything. Everything. <laughs> and now I'm excited to hear what's going on with you, Soraya, after a short break. Hi. Hello, beautiful listeners. It's that time again. A little filler ad to prep us and y'all for when we get some real sponsors to help us fund this beautiful and fulfilling and expensive and time-consuming project. Fun fact, we've been writing the ads for each other lately. I don't know if you noticed. And uh, so to save you from listening to me read a matter-of-fat acrostic poem Kat has written and or sing a remix to Old Town Road that she's dreamed up and or recite puns that have been crafted without my magic touch, I've convinced her to keep this ad a little more simple. We just want to share a big old thank you for listening and supporting the pod through your shares, likes, ratings, and reviews. We can't wait to introduce you to businesses and brands that align with our matter of fat values. More on that coming soon. Uh, wink, winky face. Cat, cat, how am I supposed to convey that in audio? This week, you get a joint update. We had a night on the town. Last week, we went to see Pink Sweats and saw the movie Hustlers. Soraya also exposed me to Mediterranean fast casual dining at Roti. It was a regular night out. So fun. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a fan of Lizzo, and who isn't at this point... Uh, you'll know that she starred in the recent movie Hustlers. Naturally, we scooted right over to an Imagine Theater, which is <laughs> a true Midwestern gem. Honestly, yeah. They're not a sponsor. I'm just a fan of the reclining seats, proximity to the Twin Cities, and loyalty program that Kat and I stumbled upon the first time we went to see Booksmart. Okay, emphasis on only in the suburbs here. Yeah, like outer outer Deep rings, like, like Saturn? No. no, maybe not that far. Plymouth <laughs> and further west. <laughs> so Hustlers is a movie starring lots of our faves and headlined by J-Lo and Constance Wu. Lizzo is, of course, in there, along with Cardi B, Kiki Palmer, Lily Reinhart, Jack the Stripper, Matta Towley, Julia Stiles, and lots more folks. So like, if you're not familiar with all those people, I will share my own pop culture unresearched reference point, Amazing. which may or may not provide insight <laughs> into who they are. I in think the world. it's more insight than, than not. Yeah. Well, we'll see, won't yeah. we? Yeah. Okay. So first, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, amazing musical artist and performer, aka Jenny from the block, has been Selena, a maid in Manhattan, a wedding planner. She's been in the movie Gigli with previous beau Ben Affleck, mistake, among other roles. <laughs> Just broke Milan Fashion Week by wearing a new Donatella Versace gown that harkens back to the daring navel bearing yes. iconic dress from the 2000 Grammys. I do remember seeing that as a middle schooler oh, yeah. and thinking, that's a lot of skin. <laughs> and now I'm like, give me, yeah. give me more. <laughs> Second, Constance Wu. Amazing actress who broke out as the mom in Fresh Off the Boat was the protagonist in the first movie with an Asian American lead and all Asian cast in 25 years. Crazy Rich Asians! That's right, that's the movie. Okay. Third, Lizzo. No introduction needed. None. Y'all Carrying know. on. Yes. Yes. Fourth, Cardi B, aka Belcalis Almanzar, from the Bronx, was a stripper and gained a wide following from social media due to her laugh in Saints. 
Uh, Are you going to do it? I'm not going to do it. So I did an ochre before, but it was not. No, we're not going to do it. Yeah, we're not going to do it. No, I'm not going to subject you all to that. She was a regular on the reality show Love and Hip Hop and was putting out music, but got really popular with the hit Bodak Yellow in 2017. Mm -hmm. An appropriate saying that I think we should adopt in the Midwest when the winter hits is, a hoe never gets cold. (laughs) If you've got an outfit and a jacket may mess up the look... Look to Cardi B for advice. She's now an incredibly successful rapper. And probably has frostbite. A hoe never gets cold. <laughs> it's magic that goes beyond the basis of science. Honestly, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fifth, Kiki Palmer was on a Nickelodeon show and maybe one or two barbershop movies. I became aware of her in the comedy horror show Scream Queens, and I'm not sure what happened to that show, to be honest. I think she's also a musician. She does a lot of stuff. I said on research, this is where we're at. Yeah. She's cute. Uh, six, Lily Reinhardt, Betty from the CW's revamp of the Archie Comics teen romance drama Riverdale. Oh, yeah. That's all I got. Although Andrea, who we interviewed a long time ago, uh-huh. Episode, or season is one. a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still have yet to watch, but people Ugh. say great things. Yes. Seventh, Jack the Stripper, comedian, cartoonist, and sex worker advocate, a punstress with a name like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like represents like, you know? Okay. <laughs> Um, or like sees like I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, cool. Game I mean, game, game sees game. game, sees game. <laughs> oh my god, I'm keeping all this in. Okay, I became aware of her on Instagram and have been following her for a few years. I think it's always helpful to follow and listen to people in the industry. Mm-hmm. She was a consultant and has a minor role in the Hustlers movie. Um, eight. Meta Towley, a.k.a. Meta Narrative, on Instagram. She is friends with and collaborated with Lizzo and Quinn Wilson. Also, if you've seen NERD's music video Lemon that features Rihanna shaving the head of a really amazingly talented dancer, you've seen Meta. That's her. Um, ninth, Julia Stiles, the main character of such classics as 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, yeah. Save the Last Dance. Yeah. The Prince and Me, a bit of a swerve into the Bourne movies. Oh, yeah. uh, Mona Lisa Smile and like so many other movies. Uh, the quintessential white girl slash woman who has latent talents and or distinguishes herself as different from other girls, uh, which I know that sounds harsh, but it's just the facts. And I mean, no malice. It's just truly what the trope of most romantic movies yeah. are. So. There's that. Okay, yes. So now you are introduced to the big names of the film. So Hustlers, mostly set in the mid to late 2000s, um, and it's like a peek into the life of strippers before and after the financial crisis. I loved it. I thought it was really well done. J-Lo and Constance Wu were incredible. Uh, so there has been like some critique from sex workers about the film, and also it seemed pretty clear that they took to me that they took some steps to be responsible in their portrayal. But what do I know? Not everything. Google it to investigate this. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that as part of our little review. Mm-hmm. After the movie on our night on the town, oh, yeah. we went to the fine line to see the R and B performer Pink Sweats and a lovely new to me artist PJ. PJ had some great music about the come up and working hard. It was really refreshing to hear, you know, a shift from exclusive love songs. And I think Kat was really digging it. I was so digging it. So she, yeah, she was just kind of speaking to me. And, you know, I love a love song, but I really love a song about pursuing your dreams. Mm-hmm. Pink Sweats was fun and had a lot of crowd participation. And I just feel like aged out a little bit (laughs) like we had a good time but there was definitely an age and money difference between those on the floor and those sitting in the little chairs on the mezzanine level and um we i mean maybe we should have been up there yeah i don't know but it was still fun (laughs) other than that though it was fun to do something out of our regular hang time and nice to incorporate into our fat dish update no yes and that's all we have for today's fat dish a fun joint update featuring hustlers and pink sweats next up we have our interview We were so excited to talk with Ryan Craning about growing up in Wisconsin, fad diets, queerness and confidence, event planning with universal design in mind, outfit planning around jewelry, and so much more. Please note that you'll hear Kat and Ryan exclusively in this interview as I was hard at work behind the soundboard with some mic malfunctions. What can you do? Oh, no. Becky, my mom, who's a very avid listener, as is your mom, too, Surya. <laughs> my mom always misses when you're not on the mic, and I'm sure all of y'all do as well. Um, but also, we should note, like we've shared in other episodes, like when this is the case, when you don't hear from Soraya on a microphone, please know that she's like very much here and that we always create the questions together, even if I'm the one that you hear asking the questions. Mm-hmm. And we're just so excited to share a conversation with Ryan. 
Ryan, we're so happy you're here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. We're going to start off by asking you the question we ask every guest, which is tell us your story as a matter of fact. Absolutely. So, hello and greetings, listeners. Uh, my name is Ryan Craning. Any pronouns are fine. I default to he, him, or they, them. Uh, I'm a queer, genderqueer, accidental entrepreneur uh, in the event planning world. Uh, proud social justice warrior, a crafter, and a musician. Uh, I play French horn and sing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, this year is actually 21 years for French horn, which is okay. ridiculous because it's strange to have a skill set that can legally drink and vote. So, <laughs> uh, Amazing. <laughs> uh, so that was cool to discover. I'm the board chair for Works, a nonprofit that does anti-bias education work in schools, communities, and organizations, um, and on a couple other volunteer committees. Um, I love frosting, but not cupcakes. Cabins, not camping. My favorite color is sparkle. <laughs> and on Wednesdays, we wear pink. Yes, yes. every Wednesday. Yes, I exactly. usually get a photo update, and yes. I love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's something I've been doing for like four years. It started as a spoof with some friends ran having randomly worn pink, and then I turned it into... Uh, kind of a thing um, and it's been really fun so I've worn a different featured a different item of pink every week for the last three and a half years oh I love so, that commitment that yeah. is so cool it's been a lot of fun um, about me for the folks who can't see me at home uh, I'm white and German European descent um, have long blonde hair blue eyes I'm bespeckled uh, often have facial hair and in that in between size range uh, in my plus size experience my matter of fact has been most of my life. Um, the last few years, I've embraced it instead of trying to change mm. um, and really uh, diving into the feeling happy and comfortable in my skin yeah. realm of things than the shame and blame about the world. So uh, as I mentioned, I identify as genderqueer and femme. So I sh shop from both sides of the aisles, so to speak. Um, it's one of the reasons I love cake. So yeah. yay, cat. Um, I, I can shop for all the things, find something that feels really me and not worry if I'm in the wrong section yeah. or getting judged of what dressing room are you going into with mm -hmm. what kind of clothing and all mm -hmm. that kind of jazz. Uh, growing up, I was for most of my childhood, either a, um, stick thin kid, um, really early or in that, uh, as they like to call young boys, chunky and husky section. Husky, yeah. Uh, and our family generally refer referred to ourselves as like big boned. Mm -hmm. So it was lots of cooking, um, lots of cheese, meat, potatoes, Wisconsin diet classics. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember that we were also really regularly a fad diet household. So if you ah. can think of it, we probably tried it. <laughs> um, so eat right for your blood type, Richard Simmons, the Weight Watchers, the no grains, the all the grains. All of the above. All of the above. Um, and so my weight has always been really focused and connected to food for mm. me in particular. Mm -hmm. And my journey, often from a sense of deprivation, self-control, um, you are what you eat mentality. Mm. And it's always mm -hmm. felt really shamey. Um, in high school, uh, I think I actually developed what would be defined in retrospect as an eating disorder. Um, during the process of coming to terms and understanding being gay, uh, I ultimately would get so stressed that I'd throw up anytime I would eat. Mm. Um, and so I went to a doctor who ended up blaming it on this like post-nasal drip, like your system's just doing weird things what? and your hormones. Yeah. Ugh. And it was like, Meh sure it's stress but like you're probably not going to address it um so i just stopped eating breakfast like i would make it through most of the day eat something at lunch figure it out um but just like the fear of being found out discovered getting beat up getting bullied all of it was causing my body to just physiologically rebel mm. and so it really just shaped my eating habits and the way that i uh, engage with food because then yeah. i would get home from school and just like chow down and hunker down um into a snack moment, uh, which I still do, but in a fun way now. <laughs> um, so due to this, my weight has been kind of a yo-yo journey. And when I graduated high school, uh, I went to the U of M, uh, University of Minnesota, yay, Twin Cities, <laughs> um, was eating in a new and different way and was walking around campus and actually like sort of lost the freshman 15 that you're supposed to gain. But then really by the second semester and into my second year, um, my body, I think, was just reacting to like, yes, there's food, here we go, store all of the things. And so um, it feels really like stereotypical think about that era of like, my body's changing. But it was true in the regular ways and I think just true in resetting mm -hmm. um, some things. And then for like the next 10 years, I pretty consistently gained weight. Um, sometimes lose a little, sometimes gain a little, but pretty consistently gained. And like 
I got this to this really frustrating place with clothes because yeah. um, I'd never been in sort of like the skinny section. Express has always been a hell mm. to try to go shopping with at friends, right? Um, with friends. And so was just getting to this place where it's like, oh, my clothes aren't fitting anymore. Kind of too broke in college to go out and buy lots of stuff all of the time. Um, and I started to just not feel good in what I was wearing and yeah. in my body because of that in the world. Um, so it was like, I might feel really good about like how my butt looked in a pair of pants one day, but like just feel really blech about my, the way my stomach felt or looked in a, in a shirt or, um, just how an outfit was coming together. And so, um, and particularly in the like mid early two thousands, but kind of all of the time in the gay male world, like skinny's better. And so then mm. it started becoming this like weird body shaming mindset about myself in terms of my attraction to other people and mm. how I was viewing their attraction to me, mm. um, which was just this whole other weird um, sort of spiral, yeah. right? So it was like, I would get into this place of like, oh, I've, if I were skinnier, like more guys would find me attractive. Or like, if I could only have this kind of body shape, I could do more with my clothes and gender expression and be more of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then like through some of the queer organizing I was part of, some of the nonprofit work I got to do, I kept meeting amazing people who were in all kinds of different bodies. And I thought were totally beautiful, totally hot, super stylish. Um, and who wore the same size, were bigger than me, were differently abled, like all of the things. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's confidence. That's beauty. That's amazing. Um, and through their examples of fabulousness, I started to really like push boundaries and explore and figure out what felt like me, both in my body and my gender. Those are tied uh, together for a lot of us. Um, and, you know, whether it was like suit tie moment, uh, flowy palazzo pants and like just billowy shirt it mm -hmm. was like cool I explored a struggle that grew but it started to just feel more right um, so that was an incredible era overall for sure had its pains and its struggle points um, and then sort of I don't want to poof here we are but poof here we are <laughs> um, <laughs> like there are for sure days where I'm still like ugh, I wish I looked this way because of what society has drilled into us yeah. for so long about how we should or shouldn't look um, whether it's an outfit whether it's just my body um, but between the expansion of my world even more on social media I get affirmation on my own posts I get to see other people living there fantastic fabulous selves mm -hmm. and their lives and their style um, and that ex inspiration has just been amazing to me. Um, the, it, it feels like it's again, cliche, but it like enables me most days to just really feel that confirmation and joy if I'm not feeling it myself. Yeah. So there are for sure days where it's like feeling cute. I'm probably not going to delete this later, but like you can tell me I'm cute. It's okay. <laughs> um, so yay for the affirmation. I know that's not true for all of the things, but between my body size, my gender expression, and just being queer AF, it feels kind of amazing uh, most of the time. So uh, super yay for that. Yeah. My current journey uh, is thinking about my health and less about being fat. Um, and I know you've talked about this on the show a bunch before and mm -hmm. have had amazing resources and shared um, ideologies that are going to be far more eloquent than this. But um, my family has like a history of heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, all of the things. And so I'm just trying to approach um, my birthday, which is in a week. Woo, Taurus. <gasps> oh, Taurus yeah. season. When is your High birthday? Five. May 5th. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. our birthdays are like in the same week. This is great. Yeah. This is another reason to adore each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like as I'm approaching this sort of like m solidly mid-30s yeah. point of life where like things are starting to creak a little bit more and mornings <laughs> are getting harder and all of the things, I'm just trying to think about more conscious health wise instead of just like what is my body shape right um right like th uh thinking of eating more greens because they're good for my body and vitamins in that realm of things not because like salads are the like only thing that one should enjoy in the world yeah um like moving my body for physical mobility and cardiac health and not just like losing weight yeah element right like who cares what the scale says this is how i've looked for a long time i've the happiest I've been, and probably the healthiest overall. So, like, just continuing to right size that for sort of the long term plan mm -hmm. um, of things. So, um, I don't want to be anyone's before photo, yeah. even my own. So, just, you know, navigating that in a world that really likes to show that off. 
Yeah. So now I'm the person that says some and sometimes yells maybe a little bit, but like gently <laughs> in a way that's like all bodies are pride bodies and uh, all bodies are beach bodies. If someone's yes. like, oh, I have to like stop eating and do a thousand sit ups to get ready for whatever season it is. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's total bull. Just like eat what you want. Enjoy life. Um, like there's no prescription for that because yeah. it just is I, all of us have different things around our bodies and what it says to the world and says to us. Um, but continuing to say things like that really invalidates a lot of people's experience. And it is the majority who are not in that realm of all of the things. So, and so like, I know that you sold Justin Levy's shirt last year at Cake that was amazing of the, um, why should bodies like mine take work to desire? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. So thank you, Justin. Shout out to you. Yay. Um, I think it's true of, of fat folks. I think it's true of trans folks true for folks disabled bodies i know poc friends of mine have felt like that's true um wherever we are a member of one of those groups um or more of those groups at one time yeah the question of whether we are appreciated for who we are or being fetishized i know can come up um especially with the prevalence of dating apps and the internet in weird and creepy ways so it's like how do i be me and be appreciated for that and ongoing struggle in the world but um, single, so hey, people, hey. Uh, <laughs> took a little bit of a turn, but yeah. So that's kind of here we are, and in and in a like delightful um, live into your best truth. My best friend and I are going to a queer week called Bear Week in P Town this summer, and so just um, mostly queer men, um, but really just like all bodies, all the love, all yes. the fun. So excited for that. Thanks for sharing all of that. That's yeah. just, yeah, it's such a delight in these interviews to get to know more of the people around us, you know? Mm. And I like, it's just fun to hear all of this because I didn't know all these things about you. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about your business and your work with events by Lady K. We want to know like what you do, how it got started, what communities you work with or engage with in serving and like what have been some business highlights. So basically everything, we want to know everything about your business. <laughs> All of the things. Well, similar to you both, I love talking about what I do for work because I love what I do for work. Yes. So, like, feel free to cut me off if I start rambling. <laughs> um, so, at Events by Lady K, we partner with mission-driven clients to create mission-centered events. Uh, whether with a nonprofit on their annual gala, a foundation on a conference, a social enterprise, or impact-minded business on a product launch or a fashion show, we provide capacity so organizations can fulfill their missions while the work still gets done. We use a philosophy called universal design. So I'm really uh, excited to break that down, which I explain as outsider inside. So we center the most marginalized identities Mm -hmm. at the core of our planning process and build out from there. So instead of accommodations being made for a few, they're integrated for all to experience. Yes. So our goal with each event is that every attendee feels welcomed, included, and celebrated. Um, So for example, when we select a venue, We think about what is listed as the capacity, and then how do we factor in a stage? How do we create floor plans and seating options that allow for ample pathways for folks with mobility issues, larger bodies, um, uh, guide seeing eye dogs, uh, to comfortably navigate a room, right? And chairs that feel comfortable for folks of different body types. Another example, uh, we try to find spaces that have a designated single stall, walkable, all-gender restroom. Mm -hmm. We know that they're more accommodating for folks with mobility issues, for folks across the gender spectrum, for parents or caregivers supporting those of the opposite sex. It meets all of the needs for all of the people. Um, And the last example I'll give, because I could talk about this for a thousand years, um, is around food access. And so designing menus with our amazing catering partners to ensure whether allergy or preference that folks have a lot of options to enjoy throughout the evening because especially for conferences, um, breakfast meetings, lunches, uh, hungry bodies, hungry minds don't pay attention, absorb and engage um, as they should. So if you're just doing a sandwich bar, if you're just doing meat and crackers, um, who are you leaving out of the, the experience to fully participate? Ooh, thanks for sharing those examples, especially yeah. the ones with, talking about people in larger bodies. I think that that is something that comes up a lot, right? Like, for sure. why doesn't this chair work for me? Yep. Why is it so hard to, like, you know, move through here? Um, and wouldn't it just be wonderful if everyone planned events with that philosophy, right, of centering the like the most marginalized first and then kind of working out from there? Oh, that's great. Yay. Thank you. And we're we're trying. And that's one of the things that I'm the most excited about now in terms of like what's happening, um, sort of what's energizing is recently I've been getting 
um, super jazzed and super into building out a training program. Um, so whether it's, I'm still sorting out the details, so mm -hmm. stay tuned for more. Um, whether it's sort of a like kit in a box and then I provide coaching, whether it's like a training series or webinar um, uh, series, uh, just wanting to really help further the work that we do by mm -hmm. example, um, organizations, if they don't have a budget to hire us to actually do the planning for folks who have in-house event teams. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's really about the mission of the work of how do we have everyone feel welcomed, celebrated, and included. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that we're not going to plan every event. We're not going to be the right fit for all of the clients. But it's not rocket science, and it's not actually political. It's just intentional, mm -hmm. um, and you have to put the thought into it when you start the process. So I'm excited to try to figure out um, and hone that in. Um, and I've got some other things on the on the horizon, too, that I'm going to just leave out there as, as vague booking, uh, if you will. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so how did you get started? And tell us more about this idea of being an accidental <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> For sure. So um, as many of us millennials have experienced in our lives of you, the, the thing you're supposed to do is get good grades, go to college, get a good job, retire, and like that's life, right? <laughs> um, and through... Uh, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. laughter, the laughter is accurate. Um, so in college, um, I actually started uh, a degree program to be a music ed major. I was going to be a band teacher. Oh. Um, and as I mentioned, like at the uh, coming out process, I the teachers that always meant the most to me were the most transparent about their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I still don't know how to be me in the world in a way that... I don't want to finish this degree and then be like, yeah, there's this like persona, the oh. thing. I don't want a wall. Music is such a powerful tool for teaching and learning and loving that it just felt weird to be like, yeah, I don't know how to, it's going to happen. And because of the ways in which the school was amazing, um, but the pedagogy of it also started to like just shift the way that I loved music. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to finish a degree and A, B, um, a, end up with a job that I'm not loving and B, uh, like exist in the world as a person who I'm like, yeah, I don't know the things. If What if I get assigned to a school district that's like super conservative and super yeah. problematic and yeah. that's what I can do for my life. So just went through that existential crisis of like, but no. What? <laughs> um, and just started reflecting on like, what do I like to do? What am I good at? Um, what's fun for me and what I came up with was through a number number of trials and errors I'm skipping over years and tears and all of the things um, but eventually landed on event planning um, I'd went through like an interior design phase because I like to make things pretty I'd went through a like maybe I'll be a peer counselor because uh, I really like helping people um, and then in 2006, um, went to the Queer Student Cultural Center's Spring Pride drag show and met a crew of amazing people, um, many of whom are still my best friends in the universe. Um, and as you do in college and in life, um, very much like, hey, do you want to come do this thing with us? And it was like, sure. Mm -hmm. So became a member of the QSCC, was very rapidly brought onto the Board of Governors. Um, and at my first meeting, they... We're like, yay, welcome. And we also won this bid to plan this national conference. Yay. Ooh. And it was like, holy crap. And I was the event chair. So uh -huh. <laughs> well, I signed up to do <laughs> Spring Pride, um, National Coming Out Day week events, and a few other things. And it was like, cool. So this is going to be a big thing on your plate because, like, the event person. So, like, here we go. Mm -hmm. And I... We did it. We rocked it out. I was the accessibility and hospitality subcommittee chairperson mm -hmm. for Mumble Attack, the MBLGTACC Midwest Bisexual, Lesbian, Gay, Transgender Allied College Conference 2007. Okay. We nicknamed it Alphabet Soup, no matter the letter we stand together. <laughs> um, oh. And through that, we um, we changed lives. Like at the end of the third day of the conference just beraggled exhausted um we just heard people who were like oh my god it was so nice to meet another queer person mm -hmm. it was so incredible to meet someone else who's out on their conservative catholic campus um like folks from across the midwest across the country a few folks from canada and it was just like oh my gosh this was incredible to have a hand in this right it was and then sort of that light bulb moment happened where i was like this was fun yeah. I was good at this yes 
this would be cool. So like that was sort of the like pivot point of like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And so started designing a degree actually at the U. Um, so my degree is a Bachelor of Individualized Studies in Cultural Anthropology, Design, and Family Social Science with a minor in GLBT Studies. Cool. And it's around designing like pretty events mm -hmm. with culturally diverse people mm -hmm. uh, in a mindful way. Ugh. And so, and like how to communicate and all of the things. And so um, I was like, yes, I'm going to be a nonprofit event planner, the galas, the things, the mm -hmm, yay. And mm -hmm. then I graduated in 2009, <laughs> like the height or the depths, I should yeah. say, of the recession, right? Yeah. Where like corporations were laying off anyone involved in the hospitality world. Hotels were cutting back. Um, the retail job I'd worked in college was like, yeah, you can have like 10 hours a week till I just keep things going. And so... Um, just in that era, I was like, okay, well, there's no chance of this happening right now. So yeah. like, did the thing of scraping together several jobs, continued a few um, unpaid internships that I'd done in college around event planning, uh, and just volunteered when I had some time because I had some time, job hunted, all the things. And at one point ended up in um, three part-time jobs. One of them was at a nonprofit that evolved into a full-time job. Um, and then through a series, as nonprofits do, through through turnover, through you're kind of involved in all of the things on a small staff, um, made it into a role where I was doing uh, events and development. So I was like fundraising. It was for an LGBT org, um, PFUND Foundation, woo, um, LGBT <laughs> Community Foundation for the Upper Midwest, support their work. Um, and so sort of hit this um, other side of the coin where it was like, oh, my God, this took what felt like year I mean it was years but it took what felt like a lifetime to sort of get this position and then it was also like oh my gosh this is kind of my dream position early mm -hmm. earlier than I thought right mm -hmm. it was going to be one of those like um work at a couple different orgs where I'm like the mission is really great but like not me right mm -hmm. and so hit this point about four years in um between having been a volunteer and on staff um where I was kind of like, okay, but what, so what's next, right? And so um, a complexity of working at a queer org that's also a funder and being queer is that the way that you then be are seen in community is as a representative of the organization. So I was wow. really like just missing being part of organizations uh, in a way. And I was already kind of like the next step, right? Like I'd done a couple of years of our events, mm -hmm. um, felt like they were in a really great place and so started job hunting and was like, cool, what's next? Like applying for event director positions, development directors, mm -hmm. um, like all of this span of things, right? For a solid six months to a year and just kept getting, you don't have enough experience. Uh. You aren't qualified, like all of the things. And it was like, no, but if you count the things that everyone told me I had to do in terms of internships, volunteer gigs, all the things, yeah. I have way more than the years of experience. They're just not at a job. So you know, how are you looking at things? It was also still in that era of like people who had 20 years of experience were still applying for things and getting back into the world. So, and through the, the mentorship and support of some friends, it was like, well, you should maybe start like contracting, do we do some consulting work. Mm -hmm. And so like started to dabble here and there and then, um, started actively seeking, um, consulting work. And so ended up, um, applying for a couple RFPs, having conversations, and got to a point where I was able to replace my salary. And so yes. I, that's why I say accidental entrepreneur, because I left um, the world I fought so hard to get into because of a lack of essentially opportunity mm -hmm. that was allowing me to continue. And so I get to now do the favorite parts of my old job with a yes. bunch of different organizations at once. And so I gave myself a timestamp of a year um, after I launched uh, events by Lady K full time. And by the end of that year, I had two subcontractors who were working for me um, a good chunk of their time and started uh, having like projections, right? Like mm -hmm. business speak. Mm -hmm. I don't have a business background. Like I had a paper route when I was a teenager, <laughs> but like, you know, other than that, it was like, I don't, what am I doing? So the learning curve felt really steep. Um, I felt very clear then. I feel clear now that I'm like, I didn't get into this to do the business I got into it to do the work yeah um around the the mission really came as I continued to do it but the the first few events that I got to run sort of fully right and in partnership with mm -hmm. our clients um 
the things around that I just think of it's how I do the work yeah. right and people are like oh wow I this was I could eat the food right like people who were like hmm. I go to so many events and I can never have food so like they bring their own lunch yeah right to something that they're paying money for and they're like I could eat this food because it was set up in a buffet because we asked what they wanted or what they were allergic to or what mm -hmm. they had in their dietary needs um we had folks who were like, I've never had a registration list that listed my gender identity. And I could say, yes, that's me. Mm -hmm. Right. I never had um, the list could go on. I'm going to I will start rambling again. But uh, <laughs> so it, it it hit a point where I was like, oh, this is this is it. Right. Yeah. This is what all of it led me to. Um, and now this fall will be um, six years full time. Um, yeah. So Ugh. I went full time um, Labor Day weekend 2013. And so uh, approaching the world, having made it through my first five yeah. years, which is a milestone in and of itself, um, I officially hired staff in October. Yes. Um, so that was a huge leap and it's been a big learning curve and I love and adore them all. Um, I've had such it's like a, a rare and marvelous privilege to have the number of subcontractors I've had over the years who, like, I get to work with people I love mm -hmm. who love what they do and who yes. are amazing at what they do. So I feel so spoiled. I want to pivot a little bit to talk about fashion and style because I know you love fashion. Um, and you shared a little bit about that, like, when you talked about your story as a matter of fact. Um, but how did you develop your sense of style? And where do you find things that fit both your um, gender expression and also like your style and size and that kind of thing? Because I know, yeah, it can be tough. Uh, it can be. This this has been a particular journey, and I will say it wasn't until I did the plus size fashion panel with you oh, um, that I ago, started yeah. thinking about myself as a style person. Really? Um, a little bit, yeah, for sure. Like, um, like for for being inspiration for other people, absolutely, and for sure for having. Uh, any sort of association with a style icon it's just yeah it's still <laughs> mind-boggling um like I do me for me and I I'm so grateful that others appreciate it um and appreciate me being me and that I can help the yeah. others be themselves like yeah. that's the most that's the best it's mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal um but for sure it's still like mm, yeah yeah sure <laughs> uh here here I am this is what I do so um my style, I would say, is like a pop of color, bold pattern, and lots of sparkle. Yes. Um, all of my favorite color all the time. Uh, <laughs> I often start my day thinking, actually, what jewelry I'm going to wear, and then like build an outfit around those oh, accessories. I love that. So I kind of do it from like, um, like color scheme, what's the sparkle story, go. <laughs> um, my approach to the world is for sure more is more uh, in, yes. in food and shiny things and in fashion. Um, I love a layer, honestly. I think um, the, the thing I struggle with and I think I'm pushing against, my, my growing edge is I'm a little matchy-matchy. Mm. Um, but expanding the horizons in terms of color combos, how patterns match, um, all that kind of jazz. Um, like I said at the uh, beginning, I identify as genderqueer. Um, I also identify as femme. So um, again, shopping on both sides of uh, both sides of the aisles. My fashion, I think, it was also formed in terms of how I grew up, uh, small town, rural Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, I was for sure uh, the '90s kid um and because it was rural um things that were in the 80s were very solidly in my 90s experience <laughs> so um you know I, I have some of those rules really ingrained in me like yeah. don't mix navy and black and like yeah. brown and black shouldn't go together yeah. and like always tuck your shirt in and wear a belt and i'm like ah. so some of the things i have a hard time shrugging um and other things i'm like ha bring it up i have a really vivid memory of shopping with my mom when i was a kid um, who had one of those color swatch books, right? Like oh. went to probably JCPenney's and did the like, so this is your skin tone. Here's like the stuff you're supposed to wear. Uh -huh. Here's the stuff you avoid. And so she would walk around. It was like a checkbook size little thing and would hold it up to close and be like, mm, nope, too orange. Like, and it Whoa. was super, I just remember very clearly being like, okay, yeah, those are the colors we should wear. Those are not. Um, and that's something I still think about a fair amount when I shop I'm like oh that's not gonna look good on my particular skin tone um someone else can rock that out yay for them it's, yeah just whoa um so that's something I'm continue to exploring um this my style itself um for sure nods to my mom and grandma like my mom wore a lot of um very figure flattering things in in her range of sizes and and 
always worked to um, just look great, right? She was always very put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandma uh, was the same way. Um, I was the effeminate artsy kid um, and always into jewelry and shiny things and dolls and not the trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandma, who sadly passed away in October, um, was like my sparkle inspiration. So she would uh, regularly wear several um, large rings. Some of these are hers. Oh, that's special. Um, which is amazing. Um, she'd have some sort of gaudy watch on, a sequin beaded embellished shirt, yes. a necklace, like Golden Girls and then some, right? Like it was, it was <laughs> more just, is more. yes, As more is said, more, yes. more is more. So that's for sure where um, I got that. In terms of like who I've been sort of following feels strong because I have a on again off again uh, relationship with social media as many Mm -hmm. of us do I dive in and then I'm like I'm gone Um, (laughs) but when I learned about uh, Iris Apfel um, like oh my gosh absolutely like what you wear is art like present yourself in the world in a way that you want to be seen I was like yes and just like her level of excessiveness I'm like super (laughs) super here for Um, like just a ton of insta folks um queer gender queer folks in particular like Jacob Tobiah, Alok, yeah. Sammy Namir. Um, there's this fabulous person, a bear named Tony is his oh. Instagram name. Like super, super fluid dressers. Like they'll rock a skirt one day, they'll rock short shorts, like heels, beards, all of the things happen at once. And so I'm like, yes, like I love how you put that together on your body. I wonder how it could look on mine or a version of it in a way that I could interpret. Mm-hmm. So like that's really helped me think about um, other things and from other parts of the country or from the world that they're having access to. Um, I feel like I'd, there's a ton of folks locally, but I'm for sure going to miss names, so I don't want to do a laundry oh, list. Yeah, but no, okay. um, gender blurring all of the ways. <laughs> and the the where do I find things? Cake, of course. Go to cake. Cake plus size resale. Okay, Yay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's also not a shop commercial. Uh, it's not, but it's not not. Um, and then uh, I've had good luck on ASOS, which is where the shirt I'm wearing tonight yeah, is that, from. That top is great. Um, thank you. And I do, I because I'm in that in betweeny phase for my body, not phase, I'm in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sometimes get away with the like 2XL section mm-hmm. at Target or a thrift store or things like that. Um, I've been finding that things that I have really enjoyed or found myself comfortable in have faded in and out of fashion faster than other things I find. So I feel like I'm always evolving. Instagram has opened my eyes up to a ton of new um, like online stores uh, that I'm going to fully blank on, but that's okay. You could yeah. DM me and I'll find them on my favorites <laughs> list. I have a fab fashion, like save to collection um, that I will bookmark things and uh, be like, oh, where did they buy that? Or what was the shout out? Mm-hmm. Um, I've started to do more like conscious consumerism. So like buying secondhand. Um, I am at a place where I, because of what I do for work, um, it's a lot of events. It's a lot of um, dressing up and things. And yeah. so I'm starting to consider talking to some local designers. I know to just have some things made, like mm-hmm. it's an investment in them. It's an investment in me. Um, and I know it'll last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and just starting to do some of that. So, um, trying to, to do less fast fashion. Um, I wear things until they're fully worn out. Ryan, if people want to know more about you or Events by Lady K, where can they find you? Sure. So Events by Lady K is eventsbyladyk.com. Um, just the letter K. Um, I'm on the social medias personally and for work. Um, all of the work things are at Events by Lady K on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. My personal handles are at Lady K underscore 612. Um, I barely tweet, but um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Snapchat still, I guess, the kids aren't doing it anymore, but here we are. You're there. Um, I'm your, still there. I see your yeah. Every Wednesday. <laughs> um, I'm figuring out Instagram a little bit more and more, um, and enjoying the features that exist. So, um, yeah. Ryan, thank you for telling us your story as, as a, a matter, matter of fact. That was such a great conversation with Ryan. Yes, a true delight. It's been a bit since we interviewed him, and we've got updates to share. In our interview, he mentioned he was excited for Bear Week and said that it was one of the most body-positive experiences he's ever had. He said, my femme fabulousness, fat fabulousness, all of it was super celebrated in ways I was shocked but delighted by. 
We were hoping he'd report back about this in his updates, and we're so glad he had an amazing time. Oh, that's so great. Ryan also shared that his business, Events by Lady K, is really rocking it. They did a big event with the Carlson School of Management at U.S. Bank Stadium for 1,300 people and are headed to Seattle in November for the Unity Summit with Change Philanthropy. He's doing such great work. And if any of you need support for your events and are looking for mission-driven folks to work with, you'll have to get in touch with Events by Lady K. And finally, when we shared the release date of this episode with Ryan, he loved that it was so close to Mean Girls Day, October 3rd. (laughs) He's very into it and shares that you can sit with us. That is so sweet. It's honestly perfect timing. Uh, And you know what else it's time for? Dirt Dirt and and Discourse. It's time for the Dirt and Discourse. This is where we dive into the excitement and discomfort around relevant pop and cultural happenings. You've probably heard a lot about this one, especially by the time this episode releases, the video has likely come across your social media screens. In this Dirt and Discourse, we're discussing James Corden's response to Bill Maher related to the fat-shaming comments he recently made. So Bill Maher, someone I don't care about and don't (laughs) care what he has to say, recently used his show to talk about how fat-shaming shouldn't have gone away, which I don't know that it has, since people aren't born needing to request two seats on an airplane at birth and that some shame is good. James Corden responded. He did. And surprise, surprise, we have thoughts. Yeah. So first, I thought James started really strong. He began by building a connection, saying I've got a lot in common with Bill and he's been nice to me before. Also, his reaction to hearing the comments and thinking, wow, who is going to address this? Who who knows what it's like to be... Um, you know, a fat person and have this perspective. Oh, wait, it's me. Yeah, it was a really strong start. Like he was building good rapport. It felt kind of strategic. I was hopeful. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the fact that he dedicated almost eight minutes to this topic about how bullying makes problems worse, how Bill Maher's argument is reductive and flimsy, and how poverty, genetics, and other factors contribute to a person's body, and how access to healthcare and education is tantamount to people's well-being. All good points. Right. While I didn't love most of his response, which I know like you're getting to as well. I do like that this was a topic of conversation on a show. And, you know, he didn't have to address it, but he did. And in some ways, like that feels like a powerful step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And OK, I didn't appreciate the jokes about fat people eating a lot. Right. Like how James tried to understand or apply logic and kind intent behind Mars words Mm-mm. and played the good fatty role to a T. Like textbook. Yeah. So what I mean by this is best encapsulated in his own words. So he says in a quote, I've basically been off and on diets since I can remember. And well, this is how it's going and gestures to his body. He then goes on to say, uh, I will keep trying all the time. I am aware today that this is going to be a struggle that I will face for the rest of my life, right? But in the meantime, Bill, while you're encouraging people to think about what goes into their mouths, just think a little harder about what comes out of yours. And I mean, okay, classy and strong end, but missing the mark in a big way. Right, right, right. Like, it was a great end. But yes, totally missing perhaps the biggest issue here. Okay, so to be honest, like, aside from carpool karaoke, I don't really know much about... Okay, so I just need to oh, say, yeah. I need this is not related, but Beyonce was snubbed, yes. and I need to say it before we talk about anything else related yes. to carpool karaoke. Um, all right, back to regularly scheduled discourse. I've never felt like Kanye West more than oh at this moment. Well, to be honest, I really agree, but that is not the topic of this certain discourse. Um, okay, but so like carpool karaoke, that's basically the only context in which I pay attention to James Corden. But Soraya, you mentioned that this kind of like self-deprecating fat joke humor is pretty in line with his normal MO. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that his self-deprecation and humor makes sense in the greater context of him being a performer, like an actor coming from the UK and like breaking into Hollywood. So knowing that him addressing fat shaming could be a pretty radical concept, especially for folks indoctrinated in, into fat phobia, right? Mm-hmm. So so him sharing this on a platform feels kind of like how people may engage with body positivity before finding body neutrality or fat liberation. Yeah, I think that's right on. And that's also like perhaps why it feels like it's like two steps forward and one or I don't know, maybe like one and a half steps back. Mm -hmm. To include info about bullying and fat shaming but not address the fact that diets don't work, it's just there's so much missing. Yeah, agreed. 
But something that I find very interesting related to the bullying fat shaming piece and this being something that people are talking about is the Google search that generated for me when I, when I finally looked into it because I didn't I didn't watch any of this until Kat brought it up to me because I truly don't kill a, care about <laughs> Bill Maher. <laughs> Ooh, subconscious. Okay. So maybe it's just the algorithm of Google and not the reality of what's out there. But when I searched it, BBC, Forbes, The Today Show, and a bunch of other outlets are interviewing scientists and scholars with the resounding outcome that fat shaming is not helpful. And some of them are talking about diets, not as many, but mostly about the fat shaming. So not a surprise to those of us who have lived it, but maybe if all these reputable sources are saying it, the tide can continue to turn in a positive way. Um, you know, never before would someone have championed this type of language and thought. And I think that's because there's never been a time where there were fat folks in places of power and ability to speak up about this. Yeah, that's true. And to that end, I wonder when we'll get to a place where everyone's paying more attention to the data around the long-term efficacy of dieting mm -hmm. um, and when that's like mainstream enough to be part of the conversation. Because like it's sure part of our conversations, but it doesn't feel like it's as much in the mainstream. Right. To be honest, like to offer this kind of response to Bill Maher and not broach top the topic of diets not actually working, it feels like a missed opportunity at best and pretty irresponsible at worst. Mm -hmm. While I agree with that sentiment, I don't think we're at a point where he could have done this and kept his audience in job. Mm. Like, the diplomacy he used in this conversation was immaculate, like wrong in my perspective, but very well done by focusing on bullying. He talks about genetics. He talked about poverty and access and education, and yet it almost feels like a like a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And hopefully we need less and less sugar the more it's talked about at a higher societal level. Damn, is the sugar fat jokes in this case? Yeah, I know. It's gross. I okay. I mean, I can understand that, that uh, taking a kind of like a diets don't work approach or direction might have lost in points with his audience and in Hollywood. But I just cannot get down with the fat jokes. He doesn't deserve that, and neither do we. Mm -hmm. And there you have it. That's today's Dirt and Discourse. As always, thanks for getting into it with us. <laughs> Matter of fat. Thanks for taking a closer look at James Corden's response to fat shaming. For getting into our great conversation with Ryan. And catching up in the fat dish. Including our ad where you narrowly avoided hearing my Old Town Road remix. Thank goodness. <laughs> Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen. See you back here in two weeks for another episode of Matter, Matter of Fat. fat.